All right, let's make our way back to our seats this morning. Let's make our way back to our seats. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. All right. If you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to Romans chapter 12? While you guys are turning to Romans chapter 12, just want to let you guys know, um, give you sort of a layout of the land here. Some of you guys, this might be your first time with us here at our location and just kind of want to let you guys know um, how the space works. So good morning to those of you here. And then also, I know that there are some of you still uh, with us online. And so welcome to those of you who are watching uh, from home. All right. So those of you here just want to share with you guys real quick. The restrooms are um, right outside here. And so if you want to go around um, the other side of the, the black curtain there, you guys can go out and it's right around the corner here. And then also if you get there and somebody happened to close the door, there's keys right along um, this window right here that you guys can grab and um, take them with you to use the restroom. So that's that. Those of you with little ones, if you, during service, uh, for whatever reason, um, need to leave the main area here, we have a couple of rooms available for those of you uh, with children, if you guys want to sneak away. One is over here in the back, and there's a TV in there, and there's also one over here um, with the TV as well, so you guys can continue to enjoy service, but just letting you guys know that those options are available. And then also, if you just need to get away from this period, we also have the um, TV downstairs for overflow. And so if you guys want to uh, watch service from down there. But anyways, let me say this. So I'd love for you guys to stay, okay? So, um, so those are like last resort in case things are going crazy kind of thing. But I'd love for you guys to stay in here with us. All right, Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12. And then one last announcement, those of you wanting to get involved, I know we talked about it um, our last Sunday before we moved here, but those of you looking to get involved, we could still definitely use some help in our children's ministry. And so if anyone's interested, come see me, come talk to me. And then those of you with um, children for the three and four-year-old classroom here, um, parents, we're also looking for uh, possibly parents to volunteer once a month. Um, if you have a child in that class, we'd love to be able to have some help in there as well. Okay, so you guys can talk to me, or you guys can talk to my wife, Christina, or you guys can talk to Miss Quina over in the children's ministry. All right, so here we go. Romans chapter 12. Let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to bless our time of Bible study this morning. Father, we come before you. And God, we thank you so much for just this moment, this time that you've given to us to be able to once again gather together as a church, to once again be able to gather together and worship you, and Lord, also to be able to gather and now study your word. I pray that you would take this passage, Lord, that you would take the scriptures before us here in Romans 12, and God, would you minister, would you speak, Lord, would you speak into that area of our heart, Lord, where we need to receive. And so, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this morning. We just expect to hear from you. And so, God, be blessed in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. 
This morning, we're going to continue our mini-series called Dear Church from Romans chapter 12. In case you've missed any part of our series, here's a quick outline, okay, just so that we're all on the same page together. Verses 1 and 2, we focused on the need for the church to surrender themselves fully to the Lord. You guys remember in verses 1 and 2 here in Romans chapter 12, it talks about presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And so our first week together in this little mini-series was Dear Church, It's Time to Surrender. And then our second week together in verses 3 through 8, we focused on the need for a Christian to step out in faith and serve God with their giftings. You guys remember one of the things one of the things that Paul makes reference to when he talks about spiritual gifts is he says it's a gift of faith. And it's true. It really does take faith to step out, take the giftings whatever God's given to us and to actually use them. I think the phrase that Paul actually used was he says it's a measure of faith. It's a gift of faith. And so God has given to every person within the body of Christ a gifting, and by faith we're to step out and use it. And so that was our second week together. And last time we were together, we took a look at verses 9 and 10, and we focused on the command for the members within the church to love one another. Now this morning, we're going to take a look at verses 10 through 13, And I've titled this morning's message, if you're taking notes, Dear Church, It's Time to Live. Dear Church, It's Time to Live. I mentioned in our last study that verses 9 through 21, if you're taking notes this morning, contain 19 exhortations. Exhortations can be defined as simply strong encouragements about how the Christian is to live. And so when I began this week to sort of put together this morning's Bible study, I set out to study and finish the rest of the chapter within this one study here this morning. But the more I dug into the 19 exhortations, the more I started to unwrap them, dig into them, glean from them, the more I realized that it would be nearly impossible to really glean all that the Lord had for us if we were to go through them at a rapid speed. It's kind of like this. How many of you guys have ever watched a movie and it was so good and there was so much within the movie that you had to rewatch it again? How many of us have ever done that before, right? We've done that, right? And then you watch it a second time and you're like, man, that was so good, but there's still so much in there. And so you watched it a third time. And then you watched it again and you're like, man, there's so much in this that I missed the first, second, third time. I'm going to make a confession to you guys. I watched The Greatest Showman five times, you know, because I really liked it and there was so much within there. But man, I just remember watching And I remember just being there. And and I'm not talking about I watched it at home. I'm talking about I dragged all six of us from our house five times to the movie theaters to watch this thing. Because I wanted to watch Rewrite the Stars with the big screen and the full sound and everything else. Okay, but I'm 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 diverting. Okay, so listen. Or how many of us have read a book? 
And man, it was so good. Every single chapter, every single paragraph, there was so much to glean from that book that once you were done, you couldn't help but read it again. We've all been there where there's so much within that we have to continually dig. And I'll be honest with you guys, when I finished putting together my study here for Romans chapter 12, and when I got through the 19 exhortations, for me, I realized, man, there's so much within this text. There's so much that I believe every single one of us here this morning could glean from. And if we were to just gloss over them, we'd miss the heart of each exhortation. And so I felt that, man, the best thing for us to do this morning is to slow down, not try and fly through 19 exhortations all in one three-hour Bible study. You guys are going to be here till one o'clock, right? Okay. But let me say this this morning. It was to slow down and just draw. It was to slow down and glean from each of these exhortations. Now, for context sake, we're going to start in verse 10 this morning, and I want to recap where we left off last time. So would you go with me over to verse 10 this morning? It says in verse 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. If you're with us last time, we mentioned that within this one exhortation, within this one phrase here in verse 10, we actually have two different Greek words for love. The first phrase, notice in verse 10, it says, be kindly affectionate. This phrase, kindly affectionate, is actually the Greek word, if you're taking notes, for storge. And storge was the devotion that a parent naturally shows to their child. It's, it's what comes so natural for a mom, for a dad. When they look at their child, they automatically just have a love for them. Mom doesn't have to come to dad and force them, hey, love your baby, pay attention to your baby. Come on, kiss the baby. No, no, it, it, just, it comes so natural because there's that family love. There's that parental love that's just sort of built in within every parent. And that's the type of love that Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, listen, be kindly affectionate. Would you love each other with that same natural love that a parent shows to their child? But notice in verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with, notice this, brotherly love. Now, this love here is a different Greek word for love, and it's where we get our word for Philadelphia or the Greek word phileo. It's the love that's shown between siblings. It's the love that you have for that person on the top bunk there in your room, right? It's that type of love. And so go back with me to verse 10. This is what it's saying. The, the, the verse can be translated, Dear Christian, love one another with love. Or listen, dear Christian, storge one another with phileo. You see, this one verse leaves no loopholes for a Christian and their call to love one another. 
you see the text is very clear that we are to love one another within the body of Christ like siblings. And we are to be devoted to one another in the body of Christ as parents are to their children. Now, I want to stop here for a second. Would you give me your eye for a moment, church? Listen, that's the type of love that God's word calls us to. So when you step in, when you come, when you plant yourself within a local church body, what God is desiring through his word to say to us is would you plant yourself within a church? And when you plant yourself there, as you look around the room, as you see the person in front of you, beside you, behind you, and wherever else, you are to look at them and you are to love them like a sibling loves their sibling. You're to look at them with that same love. And it says that you're to be devoted to that person with that same devotion that a parent has toward their child. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. I just barely showed up today. I don't feel that way about anybody in this room, right? You might be sitting here this morning saying, man, I don't even know if I'm going to come back next week. That's a lot to ask. But the reality is that within the body of Christ, that's the type of love that is non-negotiable. Let me say this this morning. Loving other Christians is not an option. It's a command. Loving other Christians is not a suggestion, but it comes straight from the word and from the heart of God. And it's with this backdrop this morning that we want to lead to the rest of our text this morning. So what does this devotion, what does this commitment, what does this affection look like within the body of Christ? Continue with me, verse 10. It says, in honor, giving preference to one another. So what does this devotion, what does this love look like? It looks like giving preference to one another. If you're taking notes this morning, I believe Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, perfectly describe what giving preference to someone else looks like. It says in Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what it's saying here is that we're giving preference to one another. We are looking out for someone else. One of my favorite things that I've heard over the years about Christianity is that Christianity is not meant to be lived out like you're on an island. What do you do when you're on an island? You're kind of off to the side, right? You're kind of off at a distance. You're off by yourself. You're far from the mainland. And it's the same thing when it comes to the church. We're not meant to live off in an island, secluded by ourselves. But we are meant to be live. We're meant to live our lives as if we were living on the mainland surrounded by others, 
watching out for others, considering others better than ourselves, looking out for the interest of, let me say it, others. That's what it means to have preference or give preference to one another. It's to be others-minded. It's to consider the person in front of you. It's to consider the family behind you. It's to be others-minded. Now keep reading with me, verse 11. It says, not lagging in diligence. Not lagging in diligence. I believe that this is the right attitude for a Christian. This phrase, not lagging in diligence, this is what it means. It means whatever is worth doing is worth doing right. So if I commit to do something, if God has called me to something, and I find it in my heart that God has called me to do it, so it's worth doing, I'm going to do it right. In other words, if I'm committed to this family, if God's called me to be a part of a church, then I'm going to do it right. If God's called me to teach his word, guess what? If I'm, I'm going to give myself to it, and I'm going to do it right. If I'm called to be in children's ministry or greet or whatever it is that God has called me to do, and I find it worth doing, I'm going to do it right. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Let me say this this morning. This might be a word for someone here listening. Some of us, we feel called to do many things. And so we jump in, we get involved, and we say yes to everything. Yet I believe that there are not many, 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 many things that God calls us to do. But I personally believe that God calls us to do simply a few things. And those other things that I feel called to do, I believe God calls other people to do them alongside me. But I believe that when we overcommit ourselves to do things, we can't do everything with all our might. And so I want to encourage us this morning, whatever your hand finds to do, whatever those handful of things are that God has called you to do, or whether it's as an uncle, as a, as a spouse, whether it's in your business, your workplace, whatever your hand finds to do, whatever those handful of things that God has called you to do, do them with all your might. And if you're overwhelmed, or you're like, man, I have more than a handful, then maybe it's time to scale it back to a handful. And whatever God has called you to do, do it with all your might. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, God's word says, Let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So part of loving others is being diligent to care for them. Be diligent to care for people. Keep reading with me, verse 11. It says, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So I'm to be fervent by the Spirit of God in my service to him. 
If you're taking notes this morning, here in verse 11, this word fervent in the Greek, it literally refers to heat or something that is boiling. And so it says, I am to be boiling in the spirit. I am to be on fire, fervent, heat in the spirit. Listen, it carries the idea of having your spirit on fire for the things of God. And if we were to be honest this morning, not always are, is our spirit, is our heart, is our life on fire for the things of God. There are things that come our way that try, that attempt to extinguish that fire, to try and, to try and quench that fire that try and come along our side and, and, and cover it, put it out. We are to remain fervent in the Spirit. We are to stay on fire for the Lord. This verse is a challenge for every believer, I believe. And the challenge is this, that we are called to pursue everything and practice everything that would keep ourselves hot for the things of God. Now, I want to stop here for a moment. Let's have a little heart-to-heart for a moment. Just for a second, would you sort of reflect on your life? Would you reflect at whatever stage you're in and, and whatever's going on around you? The things that you're committed to, and let's say this this morning, the things that you're hot for the things that you boil for. In other words, the things that you're passionate about. Now, let me ask this question. The things that you're passionate about, that you're heated for, how many of them are spiritual? How many of them are related, associated with the things of God? And how many of the things that we are passionate about burning for have nothing to do with the Lord. You see, one of the things that the Lord has shown me, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with hobbies, or there's things that you might be passionate about where you're not in sin, but I believe that if we are all passion, all fire, for everything other than spiritual things, then guess what? We are not fervent in the Spirit. And also, listen, we won't be serving the Lord. We'll be serving hobbies, we'll be serving sports, we'll be serving all these other things, but we won't be serving the Lord if we are not fervent in the Spirit. In Revelation chapter 3, you guys remember the church of Laodicea? As Jesus was writing to the seven churches, this one church, Laodicea, Jesus speaks to the church And he says these words, and I want you guys to listen. And once I start reading, they're going to sound familiar to you. He says to the church of Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, or I'm sorry, neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, one of the things that the Bible is very clear about 
is you and I, as part of the body of Christ, that we would remain either hot for him or cold for him, but lukewarm is just nasty. Several years ago, I went on a mission trip to Peru. And if you've ever gone out to eat with me, you guys know that I love ice. I always have ice in my mouth. And we went on a mission trip to Peru, and I didn't know that Peruvians don't really use ice. And so we went out to, we went out to a restaurant one day. They brought out our food. They said, would you like some Inca Cola, which is their national drink? And so we said, sure, bring out the Inca Cola. And they brought out the most lukewarm can of soda that I've ever tasted. And they put it in front of me, and the food's nice and spicy, nice and hot. I'm ready to eat. And I have a lukewarm can of soda sitting in front of me. And I'm looking like, what is this going to do? I mean, and I just remember like, okay, if the Peruvians do it, I guess I'll do it. And so I took a big chug of something, and it was really spicy. And I went and I drank right after my Inca Cola, room temperature. And I just remember wanting to spit it out. Like, this is gross. Room temperature. Where's the ice? And it was at that moment that I remember thinking to myself, that's what Jesus meant. That's what he meant when he said, if there's a Christian that's lukewarm, I want to spit it out. I always remember thinking, that's kind of graphic. You know, that's like Jesus getting a little too detailed. You know, I mean, a little too TMI, right? We were like, Jesus, can you calm down with the spitting stuff out of your mouth? But it was at that moment, it, I, the Lord had to take me all the way to Peru and drink some Inca Cola for me to get the, the visual. This is what Jesus is talking about. A drink is meant to either be really cold or it's meant to be enjoyed really hot but everything in between is just, ugh, right? And that's the same thing that he's talking about when it comes to the Christian life. He says there are Christians, there are believers who are Inca Cola Christians all the way from Peru with no ice. If you're Peruvian, I was going to say I'm sorry for offending you, but you actually offended me by serving me lukewarm soda. So anyways, listen. I will not be going on a mission trip back there. Okay, listen. Just kidding. I'm sorry to all Peruvians that are listening. But that's what I believe the Lord is speaking to us. I want you to either be on fire for me, or I want you to be, I don't want you to be, but be cold for me. But to be one foot in, one foot out, to be somewhere in between is worthless. Just like that soda that day when I was trying to relieve my spice in my mouth, it was worthless. Let me say this this morning. The Christian that chooses to live in the middle, the Christian who is not fervent, boiling on fire for the things of God, is essentially worthless if they're stuck in the middle. God has called us to be all the way in. God has called us to be on fire for him. God has called us to be hot. Let's continue reading verse 12. It says, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. 
there are a lot of things that will try to extinguish our joy. There are a lot of things that will try and put out our excitement for the things that we hope in. First of all, let me ask the question, what are the things that we are hoping in? You as a Christian, what are the things that you are hoping in? Well, we have to, I mean, all we have to do is go back to last Sunday. What was last Sunday about? It was about Jesus Christ, our living hope. Last week was about our living hope, our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And so God's word says we are to rejoice in hope. Let me ask the question this morning, are we excited about our living hope, Jesus Christ? Are we excited? Are we passionate? Are we joyful? Are we rejoicing in our resurrected Savior? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So let me say this this morning. The only hope that we are to have in our life, the hope that is to be the foundation for everything else in our life is always and should always be Jesus. And to have any other hope, any other foundation to take all of this and place everything upon any other foundation other than Jesus is a faulty hope. It's a momentary hope. It says we are to be rejoicing in hope. We're to be rejoicing in Christ. But listen to this. Give me your eyes for a moment, church. As we hope in Jesus Christ, it also allows us to have hope in other areas. For instance, we, because we have hope in Christ, we have the hope of salvation. Having hope in Christ gives us the hope of salvation. Having hope in Christ has us have the hope of the forgiveness of sins. So we have the hope that our sins are forgiven. Having hope in Jesus Christ also allows us to have the hope of heaven, which also allows us to have the hope of seeing loved ones again one day. You see how having hope in Christ opens the door to all sorts of hope, all sorts of areas that I am to be passionate and excited about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, concerning hope says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so we are to hold fast, hold tight, cling to the confession, our confession of Christ. We're to hold fast to the hope that we have, and we're to do it without wavering. What that means is I have hope, I hold fast to it, I cling to it, I'm holding on to it, and I'm not letting go of it. I'm not being tossed around. I'm not bouncing from hope to hope this week or at least this year. My hope is in Christ. And then possibly, you know, next year, if this whole pandemic keeps going and Jesus doesn't do something, I might waver to something else. I mean, we are to be 
holding fast, stuck to, clinging to our hope in Christ without wavering. Let me say one more thing this morning concerning hope. We need to guard our hope. We need to guard our hope. Because there are a lot of things and a lot of people that the enemy will bring our way to try and point us in a different direction for hope. We need to guard our hope. We need to rejoice. We need to get excited about the things that we hope in. Continue reading with me, verse 12. It says, patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. I know that none of us want to hear about want to hear what I'm about to say. But let me say it anyway. There are things that God wants to teach us during our tribulation. There are things that God wants to teach us during our trials. And let me say the big one. There are things that God wants to teach us in our pain. But if we're being honest this morning, every time tribulation, trial, and pain comes our way, what's our first thought? How can I escape? How can I run? Who can I run to? Where can I run to? What can allow me to not feel this pain anymore? And so the phrase patient and tribulation is not something a Christian wants to hear. Actually, I'm wrong. It's not something anyone wants to hear. Not just the Christian, but there's no one out there that wants to hear, hey, I know you're suffering, I know you're in pain, but stick it out, be patient. What you want to hear is, hey, go down to the corner, talk to this man, He'll, there'll be this little kid that comes around on a bike, you know, he's going to hand you a packet. I mean, and, and, and we want to hear, man, how can I get out of this? We don't want to hear, stand still, be patient in tribulation. I hate vegetables. And I can still hear my mom's voice as a kid telling me, you better eat your vegetables because they're good for you. Right? We, we all, we've all heard that. We've all said it before to our kids. Eat your vegetables because they're good for you. Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, peas, carrots. I mean, eat them. They're good for you. Well, mama's right. They're nasty, but they are good for us. And spiritually speaking, there are things we hate, tribulation, trials, pain. But if we're being honest this morning, I could still hear my mom's voice, but they're good for you. I know no one wants to hear this. I know this is not the message you came for, but it's the reality that even pain, we don't like it, but sometimes it's good for us. Let me tell you why. According to James chapter 1, being patient or persevering or eating your spiritual vegetables, whatever picture you want to paint, brings maturity to a Christian. There's a maturity the word that it uses in James chapter 1 is there's a perfection. There's a growth that takes place in the life of a Christian when tribulation, when trials, when pain 
comes into their life. Let me read it to you. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 and 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, listen, produces perseverance. Now, don't miss this, verse 4. Let perseverance, listen, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why does God allow trials, suffering, pain, tribulation into our life? And why does he tell us, I want you to be patient in your tribulation? It's so that God can do a work in us to mature us, to complete us, to perfect us. Think about it like this with me for a moment. There's a lot of things that all of us have been through. And I don't want to water them down or, or minimize them. Some of us have been through some pretty heavy things in our life. But let me ask the question, did you grow from it? Did you mature from it? Did it somehow give you a perspective that you would have never had before if you didn't go through it? I remember a year and a half ago losing my mom. And it was the most painful thing I've ever been through. But I didn't know that through losing her, that within the, within the course of less than two weeks here in our church, a year and a half later, what, a month or two ago, that we were going to have three people in our leadership lose their parents or their grandparents within a, with, within a week and a half period of time. Three people, three key leaders within our leadership here lost people in their life. You know, and so you go and allow this, what's God teaching me through? God just uses it to prepare us to be able to minister to other people or be there for other people. Other people. You never know how God can use your pain. Let me say this this morning. We are so quick to run for relief. We're so quick to run. We run to alcohol thinking it'll bring relief. We run to new sexual relationships, new sexual experiences, thinking, man, this will bring relief. We even run to counsel that contradicts God's word, thinking it will bring relief. And yet the reality is, it brings temporary relief, momentary relief. Yet there's something to gain from being patient. There's something to gain from not running. In Exodus chapter 14, you guys remember Moses was traveling with the children of Israel. And they were running from Pharaoh. Pharaoh and 600 chariots were pursuing them. They get to the Red Sea, you guys remember the story, and they have Pharaoh and the chariots approaching. And all of a sudden, the children of Israel began to cry out to Moses, why did you bring us to the desert to die? You should have just left us in Egypt. We would have served Pharaoh, but at least we'd be living. It's far better than dying in the desert. 
And yet at that moment, you guys remember, Moses told these, the, the children of Israel, do not fear. He said that God would deliver them and that they would never see the Egyptians again. And he told them the words that I want to share with you this morning. In Exodus chapter 14, with ocean in front of them, nowhere to run behind them because the enemies behind them with 600 chariots. Moses looked at this group of people who were suffering, who were going through tribulation, who were scared. And he looked at them and he said these words. He said, the Lord has spoken to me. And he said these words, stand still and see the salvation, the rescue of the Lord. You see, they felt trapped. They felt claustrophobic. There's nowhere to go. If we try and go forward, there's, there's water. If we try and turn around, there's enemy. We have nowhere to go. The only thing we can do is be patient. And Moses tells him, stand still, be patient, persevere, and see the salvation, the rescue of the Lord. And one of the reasons I love this story so much is that the children of Israel had no idea how the Lord would rescue them. The only thing they knew was that somehow by standing still, by persevering, by being patient, God would save them. And God, what he did was the impossible. He split a sea for them. For me, that's what I believe God wants to do for every single one of us. He says it looks impossible. It hurts but I want you to stand still. I want you to learn to be patient in tribulation and watch God do the impossible. But one more thing, there's something else that God did when he had them stand still. In the midst of their tribulation, in the midst of the pursuit, not only did God do the impossible, but in the process, listen, give me right for a moment, church, God matured their faith. So God didn't just part a sea for them. God matured their faith in the process. Listen to Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, end of the story, after the sea parted. It says, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. Let me say this this morning. There was a maturity, there was a trust, there was a faith that the children of Israel would have never had if they hadn't felt surrounded at that moment and if they hadn't been told to stand still and see God rescue. It was only through going through that experience that their faith, their trust in the Lord grew, that it matured, that it blossomed. This is my point this morning Right now, some of us are going through things. Some of us right now, we might be going through a pretty significant or pretty painful trial. And the only counsel that I have for you from God's word is stand, stand still and watch God rescue. And some of you might not want to hear that this morning, but this is what I will tell you. I can promise if you do, God will part a sea. If you do, God will mature your relationship with him. 
in a way that you would have never had it matured if you weren't standing before a sea in front of you and an enemy behind you. Stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. Let's head toward the finish line this morning. Verse 12, it says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. This word steadfast in the Greek, it's the word unmovable. You see, prayer is a non-negotiable part of the Christian life. We are to never, listen, move away from it. Prayer is to always be our number one solution. Prayer is to always be our number one conversation. And prayer is to always be our number one hope. We are to never have this, I've done everything else and nothing seems to work. And so I guess I'll pray sort of attitude. But if we're being honest, a lot of areas in our life that might be the exact attitude we've had. Where, let me fix it, or let me tell somebody about it. Let me see if somebody can come in and help me. And when this failed, and that failed, and this failed, and they failed, okay, I guess I'll turn to God. I guess I'll pray about it. How many of us have ever done that before? We've turned to everybody else, then we turn to God, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, duh, that... That should be our number one hope, our number one, our very first conversation, our number one solution, turning to God in prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, you know the scripture. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every single situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Listen, church. As a Christian, prayer needs to become our number one conversation. Even over our conversation with our spouse or our parents or whoever we run to when things are going on, prayer needs to be our number one conversation and, our, and may we never move away from it. Let's finish verse 13. It says, distributing to the needs of the saints distributing to the needs of the saints. If you're taking notes, I want you guys to write this down real quick this morning. Pursuing godly living is developing the, the art of an open heart and an open hand. Pursuing godly living is developing the art of an open heart and an open hand distributing to the needs of the saints. This word distributing, there in verse 13 in the Greek, it's the same word for where we get the word koinonia, or fellowship, or community. So this word distributing, it's literally a picture of what the church in community is to look like. When there's a need amongst the saints. When there's a need within the body of Christ, it's distributing. It's community. It's koinonia. You see, we always talk about koinonia when we're talking about the early church, right? I mean, that's where we get the picture of it. 
but it's the same picture that's supposed to continue going forward from the early church. It's not, oh man, the, the early church in Acts, you know, 2,000 years later, I mean, we got our new style. of No, no, no. Koinonia is meant to continue. And what does it look like? It means people taking care of each other. When we hear the word distributing to the needs, typically this word need appears usually in reference to those things which are meant by financial contribution. So this morning, you might be sitting in your chair this morning, oh, here comes the pastor money speech now. Some of you guys might be thinking. Distributing to the needs. Now, Randolph's about to tell us all the ways in which you know, there's a need and I need to make my way over to the box and drop some money. No, no, that's not what, typically this word need is in reference to financial contribution. But it doesn't always mean that it has to be or needs need to be met through finances. I read this week a story about an inmate who wrote to a pastor with a radio ministry. And so there within the prison, the pastor, you know, he had a very prominent ministry and the inmates would listen to his radio show. And the inmate wrote this letter to the pastor. He wrote, I'm not given money in this prison, so I can't contribute to help you in that way. But I do earn postage stamps. And I'm going to begin sending you a portion of my weekly stamp allotment to help you spread the word. You see, when I read that letter this week, that really got me thinking needs, contributing, distributing to the needs of people doesn't always have to look like a $20 bill or a $100 bill or where's your visa card. Distributing to the needs can be, hey, what do you have in your pocket? What do you have that somebody else might need? And my prayer is, hey, I don't have a 20, but I have a stamp. Does anybody need it? Hey, I don't have a hundred, but I do have a beat up car. Does anybody need it? I don't have a grand, but what I do have is a backyard. Anybody having a party? I mean, it's one of those things where I have, this is what I have. Is there a need? And my prayer is that that would be the koinonia, the community, the fellowship that happens within the church. And there's one last one in verse 13, and this is where we're going to finish this morning. It says in verse 13, this is the stamp. It says, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. You guys can close your Bibles. We're done this morning. But practicing hospitality is, looks like this. A moment ago, I told you guys, or I encouraged you guys to write down open, open um, heart, open hand. Well, hospitality looks like this. Open heart, open hands, open door. Hospitality literally means you're, you're just opening the door. You're letting people in. You're making people feel welcome. You're making people feel taken care of. You see, that's my prayer for our church. We're going to pray right now. But my prayer is that when you come, 
when you walk through the doors, that hospitality would be a big part of what you find. That not only would you find open hearts ready to receive you, and not only would you find open hands ready to help you, but that you'd find an open door ready to welcome you. Ready to make you feel like, man, you're part of the family. That's my heart. And I believe that's God's heart. That we would practice hospitality. Let me say this in closing. When was the last time you opened your door for someone? Well, COVID, I mean, how am I supposed to... Listen, I'm not, I'm not talking about maybe the actual door of your home. But when's the last time you simply opened a door for someone? And I'm not talking about at Macy's, you know, you're coming out and you open that. That's not what I'm talking about either. I'm talking about when was the last time you opened the door? You went out of your way, wherever the environment was, whether it was Macy's or your home or the park or anywhere else, your workplace. When was the last time you opened the door into your life and made somebody feel welcome? Made somebody feel like, man, I belong here. Made someone feel like, man, this is a very welcoming space. Part of what God has called us to do is to open the door to practice hospitality. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you even for the space that you've given to us to be able to sit and receive your word. God, we're so thankful for what you're doing. And Lord, we just want to give this space to you. Lord, we want to give this space to you for the worship of our King, and for the study of your word. I pray this morning, Lord, as we gleaned from your word, God, I pray that there were things, that there were verses, scriptures, words, phrases, something in there that we were able to glean from, that, Lord, we now may be able to hold on to and walk away with. And so, God, we we love you. And we thank you so much. Help us to remain steadfast. Help us to be hot and passionate about the things of you. Lord, would you help us to keep our eyes on you? Lord, would you help us to have not only open hearts, but open hands and open doors? And and Lord, all the things that you spoke to our hearts this morning, I pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but Father, that we would now go out and be doers. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, you guys can all stand. I want to thank you guys for coming out this morning. I pray that you guys were blessed. I pray that the Lord spoke to your heart. And I also want to encourage every single one of you we're going to be here every week now, going forward. And I'd love for you guys to pray about possibly joining us here on Sundays. Or if you've already made that decision to join us, I pray that you guys would pray about, consider partnering with us. And so if you guys are interested or if there's something that God puts on your heart or an area that you could see yourself fitting into, come talk to me, come talk to Christina. We'd love to talk to you guys and hear from you guys. I believe... 
God is doing a good work here. I believe God is, has us on the brink of something even greater, and we just need to stay faithful and committed to teaching his word and serving him. Amen? And so let's worship. Let's sing this last song.